0: You are listening to the Devoted Women's Podcast. This teaching is meant to be listened to after having completed the lesson in your workbook. We hope this teaching equips, encourages, and empowers you. Grace and peace. All righty. So we are in um, Acts 14, 1 all the way through. um, So we are joining Paul and Barnabas on um, the last leg of, they call it Paul's missionary journey because they do split up later, but um, it's the last leg of his first missionary journey. Um, Along his route, we will take a few little side roads. Um, But I promise it will all come together at the end. You got me, hon. (laughs) You did. (laughs) That went over most of y'all's heads, but that's okay. Um, All right, Acts 14.1. It starts with now. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. We begin with now at Iconium. Previous to now, Paul and Barnabas had been driven out of Pisidian Antioch by unbelieving Jews that were stirring influential people against them. When I say against them, I mean against the cause of Christ, against the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the spreading of the gospel. I want us to remember that opposition may come at the hand of humans, but its origin is always the spiritual battle that rages around us. We have an enemy because the gospel of truth has an enemy. Keep that in mind as we take our journey. As they entered Iconium, they entered together. We will see over and over throughout this text the theme of power in numbers. Unfortunately, that's true for good as well as for evil. Um, forces joined together the end of uh, verse 1 says they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed side road number one in what way did they speak when we share truth or talk to others in what ways should we speak How should we use words the word in order to be effective witnesses I know I'm asking you to keep some things um, in your mind uh, while we're going through um, but there's a lot of layers in this text and the best way I can cover it is for you to ponder some things while we move on so we will come back to um, these questions of in what way did they speak And how should we speak? Um, So while I'm reading, look for the ways that they spoke. Verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Enter the unbelieving Jew again. We just can't seem to shake them, guys. Just like Paul and Barnabas are on a mission, so are these guys. And it's for the enemy's cause. In the King James Version, um, instead of saying poisoned their minds, it says evil affected their minds. This is a deliberate attempt at stopping the gospel and preventing others from coming to Christ. I love how Paul and Barnabas respond. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. I just, you know, they're just saying, get you some of that, right? They're like, oh, you're trying to drive us out? We're going to stay just a little bit longer. Um, That is some power right there. That's some confidence um, in God. So we are God's mouthpiece, and he grants or allows us to speak his word by his authority and purpose um, and by his power. All right, verse 4. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. We begin with, but. Um, by now we know that that means there's a contrast coming. The people are divided. Jesus said in Matthew 10:34, "Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a mother, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household." How many of us have lived that? Now, Jesus isn't saying, I want you to be enemies, right? That's not what he's saying. But how did Jesus bring a sword? How does the gospel divide? The intention of truth is to unify. But when truth is opposed, it brings division. Next, we see Gentiles, Jews and rulers banding together. They're trying to find strength in numbers. Notice the contrast, Peter and Barnabas using signs and wonders under God's authority. And now this group thinking they will hide behind a false authority of the rulers. It's almost funny. They actually thought the rulers had more power and authority than God, right? They're like, come on guys, let's all band together and we'll stop this thing. Not going to (laughs) happen. It's not going to (laughs) happen. There is no authority greater than the one who has called us to be witnesses. The same one who called Paul and Barnabas, and they continued to preach the gospel. And that is the point of it all. All right, verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked he listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice stand upright on your feet and he sprang up and began walking we see now again now Peter and Barnabas are empowered not in spite of Of the previous opposition, but because of it. What the enemy meant for defeat, God meant for good. Have you guys ever been like just totally charged, you know, like pumped after an opposition where like you're victorious, right? Like, doesn't that kind of jazz you up a little bit? That's where these guys are. They're like, oh yeah, that just happened and we are on fire right now. So they come across this crippled man who is sitting, he's unable to stand, and who had never walked. God is intentional. He included those little details for his purpose. Uh, My mind went to Psalm 1. Psalm one says, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In this psalm, the potential progression of a man's demise is first to walk with the wicked next if he doesn't repent and turn he will stand in a lifestyle of sin still unrepented he will be just another scoffer sitting among them like Lot who pitched his tent towards Sodom and then next thing you know he's living in Sodom As a city official that's the progression of walking away from God the final outcome is the opposite of the blessed man there will be no fruit and the tree will wither but God he is in the business of restoration and making old things new we see God walk us through a complete reversal with this crippled man from birth I know that his infirmity doesn't necessarily mean that he sinned, but sickness and death come through the fall. So, for the sake of the analogy, just kind of go with me on this one here. Humor me, please. Paul and Barnabas see the withered tree of a man, unable to produce fruit. He is sitting. He's given up and he's given in, resolved to an unfruitful life. The crippled man hears Paul speaking the word of God. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power is in the word. And that's what the crippled man hears. He hears the words of God. Paul sees the man and he looks intently and speaks in a loud voice. I love that because here it is again, the true God-given power and authority, not the false authority of the rulers. Paul tells him to stand and the man goes one step further. He doesn't just stand. It says he sprang up. I Love that, because like a tree planted by water, right? We can go back to Psalm 1. This is now the the image of a man who is blessed. Blessed is the man, right? He is like a tree planted by water. He is now walking, not in the counsel of the wicked, but he is walking in new life, ready to grow and produce fruit. How amazing, is the one true God. He's so good. Where there is victory, there will always be opposition. Verse 11, and when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker the user of words. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. The enemy always comes to steal, kill, destroy, pervert, and twist. To tempt us, to rely on ourselves, to accept men's praises. When Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, Satan even came to him to tempt him. In Matthew 4, 1 through 11, the Bible says Jesus was hungry. The enemy tempts him to turn stones into bread. I don't know about you but I have been tempted with a loaf a time or two in my life (laughs) right (laughs) the point here was to fall for the temporal instant satisfaction instant gratification instead of the long term good plan of God right the loaves at every time. The devil tempts Jesus to throw himself down so he can command the angels to save him. He tries to tempt him with power and authority. Right? Like, seriously? <laughs> the false authority of the rulers again. Like... Satan knew knows exactly who Jesus is and Jesus is like as if like I'm really gonna I'm not gonna fall for that You just hear Jesus saying that right Um, he wants to rely on false power and authority and that isn't from God the Father Matthew 4 8 again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and he said to him all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me Does that just tick you off? Like that ticks me off right there. Then Jesus said to him, "Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The enemy's tactics had not changed from that time until the the, uh, altercation with Paul and Barnabas. They're walking in the power and the authority of the Almighty and the enemy feels the threat. By the way, when you're a threat... He knows it and he will send opposition, so be ready. His devices did not work on Jesus, but maybe they'll work on Paul and Barnabas. The priests bring oxen and garlands. The people are ready and willing to worship them by calling them gods, and they're willing to sacrifice to them, showing they believe they have power. He's still trying to appeal to them in all the same ways that he tried to tempt Jesus. With food and worship and power. Does it work? Verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas, And Paul heard of it. They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are of men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, you allowed all the nations to walk in their ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with good and gladness with food and gladness even with these words they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them how many people on a mission for God could get tripped up by these same temptations instead these good old Jewish boys tore their garments to signify the blasphemy of the false praise and to show that they too are human what a display of humility right I mean I think it's so easy to to succumb to to praise right I mean that's we love that we love praise of men but they didn't they tore their garments they said no this is blasphemous we reject this and we are human just like you they would not be fooled by the enemy's temptations They don't miss a beat, but they turn the focus back to the good news of gospel truth. They implore the listeners to turn from false idols to the ruler of those idols, from the creature to the creator. In their witness, they speak to what the hearer knows, what is relatable and relevant to their audience these are pagans. They don't quote the Torah to the pagans. The Egyptians in Moses' day worshiped the sun god Ra. When God blocked out the sun, he was showing his power and authority over Ra. Paul and Barnabas proclaimed that the God who brings rain from heaven is more satisfying than the blessings that he brings. Turn from worshiping the blessing to the God of the blessing. I love that he, he speaks to them on their level, right? He uses something that they can relate to. Verse 19, but Jews from Antioch and Iconium and have, oh, but Jews from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. I have no idea where Barnabas is at this point, right? Because we talked about power in numbers right together they're strong and now here we just have Paul I, I don't know um, I don't know where Barnabas is the King James says certain Jews right we've seen that terminology several times we hear you know we saw um, a certain sorcerer um, a certain magician right that usually has a pretty negative connotation with it so far in what we've seen so these are certain Jews um, here we see false authority rearing its ugly head again. These Jews traveled between, two, between 20 and 100 miles just to stand in opposition to Paul and Barnabas. They're literally following them um, just to spread lies. It says that they um, persuade the crowds. Lies have to persuade but the truth just speaks these crowds that joined in to Stone Paul are the same people who just tried to worship them as gods how fickle guys this is where the praise of men will get you right thankfully they didn't fall for it because these guys turned on them in a New York second now here they are stoning them verse 20 Strength in numbers, my friends, the disciples gathered around Paul. He was left for dead. He had been stoned. And what does he do? He rose up. I mean, like, that makes me want to (laughs) jump. Was this miraculous preservation? Right? Was this a Lazarus experience? God is able God is capable and God was saying oh Paul I am not done with you yet I've got this was one of many missionary journeys you're not you're not finished we I don't know I don't know but God anything is possible with God right he just had total miraculous healing he was laying left for dead and then he just rises up and what does he do he heads back to town um, in Galatians 6:17, Paul says that he bears in his body the marks of Jesus. Uh, miracle or not, I'm sure he had some scars left from that experience. But guys, those are also a beautiful testimony to a beautiful reminder of what God had done for him. Right. With him and through him. So uh, he rises and he goes back. I mean, I'm like, what the heck? I would not, would you do that? I wouldn't do that. These people stone me and leave me for dead, and now the last thing I'm going to do is probably go back there. But he is obedient and he does exactly what God asks him to do, and so he goes back. He knows that one soul is worth the risk. In Acts 16 1, Paul mentions Timothy and his mother, and they are from Lystra. He was his call was to preach the gospel and that he will do knowing it is god who is his protector and guide he's not afraid paul and barnabas follow through they make many disciples they are there to strengthen and encourage and to continue the king james says they exhort that's a powerful word right it means to stir up or to incite right so you can I- exhort in a negative way, but this is definitely exhorting in a positive way. They're not talking about fire insurance. Their motto isn't win em and wet em. They're making disciples, vessels set apart. Guys, this is devoted. For me, this is what devoted is all about. Each one of us, we come together to be encouraged and strengthened. But so we can go and share the gospel truth and then encourage and strengthen others that's the Great Commission the master potter does not make a vessel a pitcher and then pour water in it to sit it in the fridge have you ever tasted water that sat in a pitcher in the fridge for too long it is not delicious let me tell you okay the water was not put in the pitcher it was not put in the vessel to sit we were meant to be poured out And that is exactly what's happening here. They are being poured out. All right, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The goal of this progression is to appoint elders so they can establish churches to the Lord in whom they believed. The church belongs to Jesus, and he is trustworthy to build his church. We are the hands and feet that he does it through. All right, verse 24. Then they passed, passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. All right. Um, In verse 25, when they had spoken the word, how beautiful is it to speak Jesus, right? He is the word. So when we're sharing his word, we are sharing him. We, I, I love that because it says, you know, that he writes his word on our heart. He is the word, so he's literally engraving himself on our hearts. <coughs> That's awesome. Uh, they return to Antioch, their church, their home church. Commended to the grace of God, vessels that had fulfilled their purpose in this first journey. How gratifying is that? They returned. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, by opening the door of faith, this first journey has just actually begun. Right? The first missionary journey is, is over, but it's just, it's just the beginning. Um, what a journey that was opposition came in many forms within and without. We had Elamus, right? Um, John Mark quits. They're driven out of cities. They're tempted to accept false worship. Uh, Paul is stoned and left for dead, not to mention just the uh, daily ins and out and wear and tear of traveling hundreds of miles on foot. They didn't just get in their car, right? They had to, they had to walk. Um, in 2 Timothy 3.11, Paul writes, Of my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. All right. Acts 15, 1 through 35 15.1 but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Again, um, the, King James, the King James says certain men. In Galatians 2, 4, uh, Paul calls them false brothers. This time they're coming down from Judea beware opposition will come at us from all directions right first we had the guys traveling 20 to 100 miles just to follow them and now they're coming down from judea (laughs) these certain men are teaching unless you are circumcised guys this is jesus plus right we have the t-shirts that say jesus only that's because it is Jesus only they are teaching Jesus plus plus. and Jesus plus anything is not the true gospel all right they are saying that the only way is to first become a Jew because the Messiah is the Jewish Messiah by converting they will be physically circumcised then they will be worthy of accepting the gospel That's a whole lot of thens and thens and do this and do that, right? This is, um, we are told that our adversary, the devil, seeks whom he can devour. In this situation, he is literally trying to devour doctrine. This is the early church. The church is still just a little baby, right? We still have apostles living this is brand new so he's getting in there and he's trying to mess some things up okay this is a blatant assault on doctrine on the word of truth this plot of the enemy would have reduced christianity to a religion of self-righteousness mm-hmm. of righteousness by works jesus plus anything is no longer salvation through grace this is I mean this is pivotal this is foundational this is this is as huge as the resurrection I mean this could change everything right so it's so it's so important now really quick oh, I didn't bring my book but uh, turn to the map in the back of your book I think any one of them will do on um, the first one and just kind of make a note of where Galatia is So Iconium, uh, Pisidian, Antioch, Lystra, those are all, Galatia is like the province. Okay so, um, Paul and Barnabas visited this area in their first missionary journey. It's known for, it's not known for sure if Paul wrote the letter of, to the Galatians before this Jerusalem council, while he was in Jerusalem at the council, or after he uh, returns to Antioch from the Jerusalem council but um he references galatians a lot or in galatians he references being at the council a lot Um, the book of galatians is all about grace so it makes sense that he was pretty triggered by all of this talk of circumcision of the flesh uh, when he knew it was circumcision of the heart that matters so I, I love stuff like that when you can, you know, kind of reference back and forth and go, "Oh wow, so he was this this is happening around the same time." Exactly. Uh, there's some debate. Um some say it all happened in AD 49 and some say that Jewish Council, uh, Jerusalem Council took place in 8049 and Galatians was written 4 years later. Nobody really knows, but it's still pretty cool, you know, to be able to To think oh he had all these things on his mind these when he wrote Galatians he was hip-deep in Jerusalem council this was a big deal and he really wanted to drive home grace to the point to where he wrote the book of Galatians Um, all right so we're in fifteen two, and after paul and barnabas had no small dissension and debated with them paul and barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question so being sent on their way by the church they passed through both phoenicia and samaria describing in detail the conversion of the gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. First, I love that these two are willing to vigorously defend what they know to be truth. Secondly, if Paul already knew where he stood on the issue of circumcision in order to be saved, why did he agree to go to Jerusalem council? Paul was first called an apostle in Acts 14, 14. The others were there from the very start. He knew that the council held the power and the authority, but his willingness to show to go also shows his heart of unity and humility. Okay, we saw that earlier too, where um, they, you know, Barnabas, and they wanted to see. Okay, no, we need the authority of the apostles. We need we need this to be done right. We're not going to go rogue. Right. And Paul even says, oh, maybe I, I mean, I'm pretty sure this is right, but I want to go check myself. Right. Um, so they go up to Jerusalem. Side note on the map, it is down, but it sits on a hill. So no matter where you're coming from, when you go to Jerusalem, you go up. Um, so verse four. with them. That's from the beginning of that verse. Um, I love that. God was with them in the conversion of every Gentile that they encountered. This testifies to God's approval of his own work through their hands. In a way, Paul is saying to endorse belief plus works is to oppose what God is doing. All right. Moving on. So here we have some believers. I want to insert just another little progression here. In verse 19, way back, we have some Jews or the certain Jews. Uh, Remember their blatant opposition from the outside, attacking the gospel truth. Well, that didn't work. So the enemy sends some men, right? This is a more neutral title but still they're trying to derail salvation through through grace. They're introducing the whole, I mean, you know, you should probably be circumcised and you know, have grace that. So next, we progress to some believers. The enemy is not too shy to use those close to us. Those we walk with to get us off track. Back to some believers. These men are Pharisee converts to Christianity. Paul can totally relate to their conundrum. They're having a hard time letting go of the law, which they have built their entire lives on. Galatians 2.16 says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentiles, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith, faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. How difficult is it to live free once you've been a captive for so long? Israel kept trying to return to the comforts of the familiar, the comforts of their bondage, the comforts of slavery to Egypt. That seems insane, doesn't it? People who spend years in prison can become what is called institutionalized. Freedom is hard. What chains have we returned to? What familiar comforts have we held on to? How gracious is God to gently remind us that we are free, bought with a price, and that he is our comfort. We don't need those old things. They're not, they're not real. They're not true comfort. <coughs> Slavery is no comfort. That's a lie. All right, verse 6. To be a fly on the wall for that debate. How awesome to be surrounded by like-minded people who just want to debate some scripture. I love that. I mean, I, I like to, to dig in and be opposed. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I love that, you know, just to get in there and just hash it out. Um, together. To consider the matter. Again, powers, there's power in numbers. Verse seven, Peter stands and recounts early, earlier, right? This is the early church, but he's talking about earlier, maybe 10, 14 years prior, uh, church history, rem- reminiscing on what God has already done through the Gentiles hearing the word of the gospel. Remember back to Acts 10, when Peter has his vision where there's nothing that's unclean and Cornelius's entire household is saved, right? That, that happened, guys. That was God. Peter says, God, who knows the heart, performed a circus, circumcision of the heart. The Gentiles were cleansed by faith. You know, it had to cut the Pharisees. Uh, convert to the heart when he said that there was no distinction they spent their lives looking down on Gentiles and now are asked to see them as equals right equals in the eyes of God they thought they had sole rights to God (laughs) that had to be quite a quite a smack I had a person I was sharing the truth with the other day ask how a bad person can be saved at the last minute. She was looking at them and looking down on them because of their behavior and thinking her actions would merit her favor with God. I read her Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's not about work or the law or the yoke. Um, By the way, she got saved. just want to share that. I forgot to tell you guys. Um, All right. Peter asks them, why do you test God? So he's saying this debate has nothing to do with the people in this council. You're literally arguing with God. If the law did not justify the forefathers, why would it justify them now? How did the yoke of the law work for Israel? They continuously crumbled under the weight of the burden and returned time and time again to bondage. Visualize with me, if you will, a Jewish Christian and a Gentile Christian, both in the neck of a yoke, one pulling to obey Jesus and the law, and one pulling to obey Jesus only. This looks a lot like striving. This does not look like unity. Can you see that? Like, you know, that's really, it's not going to work. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom of Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we are both Christians and not bound to pagan rituals or rituals of any kind or laws, we will pull in unison. This is the point Peter is trying to make. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you all are, are all one in Christ. Two oxen pulling together. Power in numbers, power in unity. Can we just read verse 12 again? And the assembly fell silent. Like that is a mic drop moment, right? Like it just there was probably a gasp even before they fell silent, like, whoa, because that's that's good stuff. Um, but they don't stop. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through, through them among the Gentiles. In verse 13, after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. This is from Amos. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that they should not trouble those of the Gentiles, who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. I know that the Jewish converts are freaking out right now. James just quoted prophecy from Amos and read that God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. Did they miss this section of Amos on the Sabbath? He further says the Gentiles who are called by my name. All these centuries, the Pharisees thought they were the only chosen ones. James reads that the tabernacle of David needs to be rebuilt because it has fallen. James is saying that Judaism, the religion that they loved so much, has fallen. How has Judaism fallen? They rejected whew, They rejected the Messiah and God is rebuilding his temple to include Jews and Gentiles with all things in common under Jesus, the Messiah, the one true God. How beautiful is that? How are these Pharisees? I mean, it says they're believers, right? Can you even imagine what is going through their mind right now? They're like... What? We never seriously read Amos. Like we never saw that he is rebuilding. He is saying the word was read every Sabbath and yet they totally missed the boat. But now that you are believers, you have hope in Christ and unity, fellowship, brotherhood with Gentiles. Jesus concludes that the circumcision of the heart is what God requires. For the Jewish converts, this is the cutting away of the law, not the cutting of their flesh. Removing the law as a means of atonement and clinging to only Jesus for salvation and justification. For the Gentiles, this means a circumcision or a cutting away of pagan practices that they once followed we're going to jump down to verse 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. That's part of the letter that they actually wrote I love that um, they agreed you know they came they came with all this confusion and opposition and and Pharisees going wait we don't understand this doesn't make any sense like this is what we've always believed how could we possibly be wrong how can we let go of what we've always thought was true and then I mean, I just want to give a shout out to the Christian Pharisees. They had an issue, right? But as they stood before the council, they were humbled and willing to be taught. The enemy had plans for totally changing doctrine, but their humble hearts prevented that from happening. Guys, they could have gotten mad and stormed off and started a... Second Christianity, right? Christianity of the circumcision or something. I don't know. (laughs) You know, that comes later, right? We've got how many religions now? Uh, But I hope when we debate or are confronted, we are humble and we are teachable because it's all for the glory of God. It's, It's not about us, right? It's about truth and it's about God. And it's about finding unity um, together. So I said I would come full circle. Um, What was the point of all these entire zillion verses? (laughs) Because there were so many. Uh, It's the Great Commission, right? It's the spreading of the gospel truth is always God's mission. So again, I ask, in what way did they speak? Because when they spoke, lives were changed, right? When they spoke, Gentiles and Jews alike, it says both, both came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. When we share the truth or talk to others, in what way should we speak? How should we use words, the word, in order to be effective witnesses? First, there was an invitation to believe, They spoke with authority. They spoke the truth of Jesus's words. They were relatable, right? To the Jews, they recounted the Torah. To the Jews, they recounted prophecy and the law. And to the pagans, they talked about the God of creation and the living God versus their dead idols. They were relatable, They were bold, and they stood against the opposition no matter what direction it came from. And they rejoiced, and they encouraged each other.